Good morning. Good to see you folks. It's good to be with you again. It's always good to be here at Parker Ford Church and uh, to bring you greetings in Christ from the elders in the body at Cornerstone. And uh, they're praying for us now as we uh, engage together. And so it's a real privilege to be here um, again, opening uh, God's word together. So um, when we think about what it means for us to uh, engage the kind of stuff that you've engaged this morning, I mean, the elders brought a significant amount of information to you, um, some some key information, some some uh, some church shifting information, things about leadership structures and uh, uh, pastoral ministry and development in the lives of leaders and changes in the construct and the context of this church. Um, you know, it's important when we receive information and when we're walking in the kind of story um, that this church is currently walking through. Um, you know, that God is shifting, changing, transforming, engaging each one of you as individuals. Um, he's also shifting, changing, transforming, and engaging this church as a whole, as, as, as a local body of Christ. And um, what I want to talk about this morning is the appropriate and um, best um, perspective to bring to both yourself and to this local church as you engage things, as you engage these kinds of structural shifts, as you engage this kind of discernment, that's what you're really looking for is discernment. You're looking for the wisdom of God. You're not looking for decisions, right? We can make decisions tomorrow. You could get on churchstaffing.com and literally hire someone tomorrow. You couldn't trust that person, <laughs> but, uh, but you, you could make a decision and, and move some things forward if you wanted to. Um, you're not looking for decisions. You are looking for discernment. Discernment sometimes leads to decisions, but not all decisions are discernment. Discernment is the wisdom of God applied in real time, pure and simple. Discernment is wisdom of God applied in real time. So even this morning, as we gather together as the body of Christ, the, the church is always called to a posture of discernment. We're always called to be seeking what it is that God's wisdom is in a given situation, which can sometimes sound like a daunting task until you remember this fact. Jesus is not a participant in this service. Je Jesus is not sitting here, uh, just uh, occupying a chair. Jesus is the center of Parker Ford Church. Jesus is the head of his body, and he will not be replaced. So the beautiful thing about the church gathering together is that when the church gathers together, uh, I mean, Jesus says it really clearly, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am, where? In their midst. He's, he's in the middle. Right? He, he, he's in, he, he's in he, he is the central figure for what we do. So, so as we engage his word now, we're engaging him through Christ. As we engage one another, as we sing together, as we hear announcements, as we pray, as we do all the different things that we do, we're engaging him together. When, when you go to a family meal this afternoon or when you sit down to watch the Eagles play and you need great grace for that this season, um, you know, hopefully Christ is there in that room with you. <laughs> that, you know, whether or not uh, this is key, whether or not we ever choose to recognize Christ in the midst is up to us. But Jesus is the center. And discernment is coming to Christ with Jesus. What is it that you would give us? What wisdom would you bring for us in this situation? Um, a lot of times uh, our, our meetings work 
sort of like we get together, we're a bunch of Christians, so we probably eat, and then we pray, and we pray, dear God, help us do the right thing. And then we engage our agenda and make a bunch of decisions. And at the end, we go, dear God, make these things work. Right? And we talk to each other and we talk about stuff and we, engage and we ask good questions and we bring all experience to the table. But in the meantime, at the center of that gathering is Jesus himself, who's not being asked the questions. Is Jesus himself, who's, who's not being sought. Uh, there is literally the wisdom and power of God in the room. Uh, I was with, uh, we do a significant amount of um, business consulting um, at Teaching the Word, and so I was with, a, uh, I was with some, bu some business leaders on uh, Friday, and um, this was a family business, and th they run a good business, but they hate each other, <laughs> and so it's this very, it's this very strange thing where, uh, where they're trying to both preserve their family, which is on the edge of breaking, um, while experiencing just m massive success in their given production field, and um, they brought us in because th they have these core leadership issues that they just can't seem to to get past, and and it's just immediate. I mean, as soon as as soon as um, uh, two of these leaders enter the room, there is just immediate tension. There is immediate friction. There is immediate. Uh, I mean, just disdain for each other. Um, if they go to a family picnic, they're very cordial and kind. But when it comes to the business environment, they're just cutthroat with each other. And um, on Friday, I just I, I didn't quite know. I, I, all I'm pushing for at this point in time with this is basic respect. Like, let, let's not yell at each other or swear. That, that's the goal for this meeting. And they immediately came in and started yelling at each other and swearing. Um, they had started out in, out in the hallway. And uh, so I, I went out to my car because I remembered I, I had a tool with me. I, rem I, I went out to my car and I brought in a candle. I had one sit here and one sit here and I put a candle between them. I lit that candle and I said, now this is Jesus. And you both claim to love him. So you are only allowed to talk to one another as you talk to him. So I want you to say what you have to say to the other person by talking to Jesus. Right? And the entire meeting changed. It was really quiet <laughs> for, for a long time. But, but, but this, this idea of Christ in the center actually changing things and bringing wisdom. And, and, and in 45 minutes, we'd made two decisions about the future of the business that they'd been fighting about for four months just because Christ was recognized in the center. But, but we, don't, we don't live like that. We, we, we forget that. We, we, we live in our own definitional structures. We live in our own constructs. Um, the world defines the church instead of God defining the church. We get influenced from all kinds of different directions. And in the meantime, I mean, there is literally Christ in the midst every time we gather. And so how we regard him and what it is that we bring by way of our own openness of spirit and the seeking of our minds to hear his wisdom and looking for discernment in our midst, like these are key things. Parker Ford Church is embarking upon a significant season of discernment and making hard decisions making, and wanting to make the right decisions for the sake of the people in the flock. Right? And you're all engaged in that. You're all engaged, you are all invited to that process in one degree or another, be it through intercessory prayer right, or be it through engagement. I don't know what it looks like, but how you choose to check in 
and how you choose to actually activate yourself and be a part of this body in regard to this process and recognizing Christ in the center together, the more that you do that, the more actively that you follow, the more actively that you engage, the more actively that you regard Christ in the midst, the more the discernment of God will flow and the more the decisions that you make will be solid and grounded. So I'd like to bring from the way of teaching today a perspective of Christ in the midst that is, uh, that is core to what it means for the church to be the church and for us to walk as the church. Make sense? All right, let's pray and dedicate that to the Lord. Jesus, we recognize you at our center. We recognize you as the center of Parker Ford Church. Here are two or three and more gathered in your name. And so we seek the wisdom of God. We seek the wisdom of God. There's lots of experience here. There's lots of story. There's lots of opinion. There's lots of wisdom. But we only want those things that come from you. So God, would you bring your wisdom to the front, bring your manifold blessing, bring yourself to the front. We submit to you. And we look to hear from you, and specifically now from the Bible, what it means for you to know Parker Ford Church, to love Parker Ford Church, and to be leading and caring for Parker Ford Church in the way that you know she most requires. So thank you for your word that you give us by your grace. We look to engage it with our minds, engage it with our hearts, and be whole, connected people who leave here transformed by the Holy Spirit through the power of you in our midst. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a bold statement I'm about to make, and it's one of those things that when, when a teacher says it starts the sentence, you're sort of like, you immediately go, yeah, right. <laughs> like this guy, really, he thinks he knows what he's talking about. Look, I'm telling you, this is, this is true. You ready? <laughs> The key to all of life, right? When you hear that statement start like that, it's sort of like, whatever, dude, you know. <laughs> the key to all of life, the key to all of life is receiving God's identity of you instead of your own. Right? There is a false construct that lives within each of us. The New Testament calls it our old nature, the old man, the natural man, the carnal man. Those are all biblical phrases for that, that false self. That's not the true you. The true you is in Christ, and, and the true you is the identity that God has given you in who, in, in who you are in him. So, for example, the book of Romans chapter 8 says that we are no longer orphans, no longer slaves to fear. Rather, we have received a spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So we walk in sonship. Galatians chapter 4 actually uses that word, that we receive this spirit of sonship. You are not who you were. You are not orphaned to sin any longer. Your identity has been changed. You are now a son of God. Whether or not you view yourself as a son is called sanctification. It's a, it's a growing up process in Christ. And so, how, but how you view yourself matters. If you view yourself and if you identify yourself as an orphan, do you know how you will live? As an orphan. If you think about yourself and identify yourself as a son of God, you will live as a son. How you view you 
is the most important thing in your life. It's hinged to the great things that Jesus said, that the whole law and prophets hang on this. Love God and love your neighbor. How? As you love yourself. To love yourself is not the power of positive thinking. To love yourself is to view you the way God views you. Because God is love. You don't know how to love. God knows how to love. So you ask God, God, how do I love? And God says, love like this. Love like I love you. God, how do you love me? I love you as a son. So then how do I view me? I view me as a son. A lot of of theology in that one, right? Love God first. Love your neighbor. How? As you love yourself. What's it mean to love yourself? It's not the power of positive thinking. Right? To love yourself means that you view yourself from God's perspective. We don't know how to love in and of ourselves. God is love. So we go to God and we say, God, you're telling me to love my neighbor as I love myself. But I, I don't understand love. You do because you are love. So how should I love myself? God's word is you need to see yourself the way I do. I love you like this. I love you like a son. Because that's who you are. That's who you are. That's your identity. How you choose to view you is the most important thing about who you are. A thief steals maybe because he wants the thing that he steals. But primarily a thief steals because in that moment, he thinks about himself as a thief. That's his identity. That's how he chooses to engage. So what, what's weird, <laughs> what's weird is, is, is to like uh, engage truthfully then on the flip side of those things. Um, so let's say a thief steals and you catch that person, and you say, why did you steal? And he goes, I'm not a thief. Well, actually, yes, you are. You just stole. Yeah, but that's, that's, not, that, that's not who I am. Okay, well, let's talk about that. Let's think about that, because this is interesting. You're right. In Christ, we are not the sin that we do, right? Paul says, Paul pushes back hard against that. Rather, we are who it is that God called us to be. But when we choose to misidentify, our actions follow with that misidentification. So if we choose to live as orphans, then we live as insecure people who just try and work harder for God to gain his love and favor and to try and somehow convince him that we belong. When in actuality, what God calls us to in our identity is being sons of God who are fully accepted and loved and have the full favor of God resting upon us because that's what Jesus has. The gifts that we have by way of identity are ridiculous. They're huge. They're massive. And I want to talk about one of those things. Because not only do you have an individual identity in Christ, you are given a corporate identity in Christ. If we ask Jesus, so that that corporate identity is the church. You are the church. We are the church. So if we ask God, turn this thing on. If we ask God, God, what is the church? God does not respond with concepts of like buildings, budgets, and people in the seats, which are the three things that we tend to think about the church as. And the three things that oftentimes distract leadership teams from going about the real thing they're supposed to do, asking themselves, how do we take care of our buildings? How do we get more money in the budget? And how do we get more butts in the seat? All right, three, th- three B's. 
in reality, but, but that's not how God answers. God, what is your church? If you ask God, God, what is your church? He gives you the, the scriptures. He tells us in the, in the New Testament that the church is five things. The church is a family. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. The church is the bride of Christ. We are intimately loved by God as his bride. We are the temple of God being fitted together. You are individual stones in the corporate temple of God. That's 1 Peter chapter 2. We are the body of Christ. That, that is your identity. Individual members fit together into the body. And fifthly, we are the flock of God. We are his sheep. And it's that that I want to talk to you about today. What is the church? This is about how you should view you. This is an identity-based sermon. I am not going to give you any application at the end of this. If you're the kind of person who's like, I need something to apply to my life this afternoon when I go home, ask the Holy Spirit what you should do. My goal today is to strengthen your identity and to reveal Christ as your shepherd. Everybody hear my goal today? Right? To strengthen your identity and to magnify Christ as shepherd. That, that, that's what we're going for here. Everybody up for it? Take your Bibles start to John chapter 10. God, what is the church? Here's Christ in our midst, right? And we can talk about this that we're blue in the face. What do you think the church is? What do you think the church is? What do you think the church is? Well, here's Jesus. Jesus, what do you think the church is? What is your church? Who are your people? John chapter 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his sheep, his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. I grew up here in Parker Ford. And I went to work for a uh, um, construction guy in Pottstown. He was a stucco plaster guy. His name was Dave. 
Dave's just a godly man, loves the Lord, uh, man of the word, just a deep, deep uh, brother in Christ, was just a real spiritual, uh, had great spiritual impact in my life. Um, Dave wanted to figure out what it meant to be a shepherd. So he really practically just decided to put this in action. He had a nice big plot of ground. He had a house, and across from the house, there's about three acres sitting there, pretty empty, that somebody used as a farm field at some point in time. So Dave went out and bought 20 sheep to figure out what it meant to be a shepherd. Now, this is just the kind of guy Dave was. We went to work for Dave as, uh, you know, plasterers, stucco, ifs, and all that kind of stuff. And, but when work would get a little slower, when we were in between things, Dave would have us help out with the sheep. So I learned a couple of things about sheep. Now, one thing is this, is sheep, and you'll hear this from time to time in sermons. You'll hear pastors go off about sheep, about how stupid they are and about how ludicrous and ridiculous they are. You may or may not have heard that. It's important for you to understand this. God does not think you are stupid. All right, and and when you hear a pastor start to go off on that tangent, just let him do what he's going to do. But remember what I said here. God does not think you are stupid. Right? And God does not think you are useless. You, you'll hear pastors do, do that. Like, yeah, sheep are the most stupid, useless people and things in the whole wide world. Isn't it great that, you know, God takes care of us even though we're so stupid and useless? Uh, that's a very shame-based view of God. God thinks that, that you are a, a, a wonderful, wonderful uh, creation that he has made. Here's the thing about sheep, though. I will tell you this. They are absolutely 100% dependent. So what gets translated into stupid and useless is actually at the core, they are completely dependent. Sheep left on their own will die. Like, it, it, it will happen. They, they, they will find a way. Going through a gate, right? We, you could, Dave's sheep, he would call them, and they would go through this gate, and if you put your foot out, the first one would jump over your leg, and you could pull your foot back, and the other 19 would all still jump in the same place. If you didn't take them to water, they wouldn't go find it. You know, it, it, it's, it's a very, very interesting dynamic with the sheep and, and the flock and, and the care. However, one thing that you learn about sheep, and I learned this real fast with Dave's sheep, was, uh, you see, D- Dave is this, just this real gentle man. Like, like, I mean, he's a hard, hard worker, good businessman, but, but at his core, he is just, he's a kind, gentle shepherd, Loves God, and, and he's soft-spoken. You know, I, I never saw him got that worked up or anything, even when he should have. And, and, and he just, he was the consummate shepherd. And he would, he, and, and just to really learn it, he had this stick. It was his staff. So thy rod and thy staff, they, they comfort me. Right? The, sheep, the shepherd doesn't take the staff and like, beat the sheep. This is the big, like, get back in line. I can't believe i got to come out and find you. Whack. You know, the... He just would sort of like walk along with them and just tap them on the side. When, started, when one of them started to get out of line, just a little whack on the side. Well, not hard. Just get them back. Just pull them back. They rod and I staff, they direct. They rod and I staff, they comfort. Kind of a situation. Not me. I got angry at these sheep real fast. As soon as we got into the situation, we go in there to shear them. It's like 100 degrees, and then wool needs to come off, and I'm there to help these animals, and these animals don't want help, and they fought, and it would take two of us, one to hold and the other one to sit on them, and then Dave would just you know, yank down these things, and the wool would go everywhere, and the sheep would be squawking, and it, it, was, it, was, it was hard work. Being a shepherd was hard work, but Dave had this just amazing, like, there was no question he was the authority, and there was no question he was the shepherd, and there was no question I was not. 
And the sheep knew him, and they trusted him, and the sheep did not know me, and they did not trust me. And when he would come around, they were secure, and when I would come around, they were not. (laughs) Dave had a heart and a love for the sheep. I was just there because we were in between jobs, (laughs) and I still wanted, you know, to make a wage that day. And so be it. What I learned really fast was the truth of what it is that John chapter 10 just talked about. That the shepherd is the key to the flock. Right? The shepherd is the key to the flock. Sheep are absolutely dependent. They, they do not know how to care for themselves, and they will not care for themselves. They will get themselves into trouble. They will hurt themselves. They will find ways to do damage to the flock as a whole. And furthermore, because they're so dependent, they are just wonderful prey for predators. Just wonderful prey for predators. So Jesus is talking about wolves here, that when a wolf comes, like, I'll protect them from the wolf. That's because a sheep cannot protect itself from anything. Like, it, 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 a sheep is completely, fully dependent. Later on in Acts chapter 20, Paul's talking to the elders. Uh, a word means shepherd. And he says, from among your own selves, wolves will arise from the flock of God. So you have to protect them. You've got to guard them. First Peter chapter 5, Peter calls to the shepherds, the elders, to shepherd the flock of God in your midst. Because there are lions prowling around who are going to try and devour the sheep. Jesus says here, people are going to try, come and try and steal, steal, kill, destroy. But I've come, they might have more abundant life. A flock that is well cared for. If you could get into the mind of a sheep and interview a sheep who has a really good shepherd, you say, How's your life? My life's great. Why? Because I've got a good shepherd. What's that mean? It means I eat well, I'm sheared well, I drink well, and I'm safe. I'm guarded. I'm protected. And a lot of times, sheep have to be guarded from themselves. When we think about the church as the flock of God, Jesus lays out some key, key constructs here. So let's look at this from a couple of perspectives, that the church is a flock. Oops, I didn't mean to have that one. Sorry. That's good stuff, but not for today. All right. Let's look at it from a Trinitarian perspective. When you think about the identity of the church is the flock of God, right? the church is the flock of God, who is God the Father in regard to his flock? I think somebody said owner. All right. It, it's his flock. Right? It's, it, it, it's his flock. He, he owns it. God the Father owns the flock. Jesus says real clearly here in John chapter 10 that the Father gives me my sheep. Right? The Father gives me my sheep. I receive from him. It's his flock. He's the owner. Who is Jesus Who is God the Son in regard to the flock? This one's pretty simple. That's right. That's right. Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. And as you can see, Jesus' descriptors of what the good shepherd is. Verse 11, he keeps repeating this. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd does what? Lays down his life for his sheep. That's the hallmark of a good shepherd. So in this case, Jesus is talking about, in present tense, I am the good shepherd, but he's not dead, nor is he dying at this point in time. You get that? What this is, this is is a matter of priority. 
the, a good shepherd keeps the needs and the minds of the sheep in line and keeps them uh, where and keeps those priorities and those needs in proper priority and need. The good shepherd doesn't just run around trying to meet the needs of every sheep. The good shepherd keeps a mind of the whole flock and shepherds the flock and lays down his life for the sheep. In other words, the needs of the flock become a priority in my life. I, I lay down my life for my sheep. Now, there are points in time when a shepherd would actually like put his life on the line. We see this with David the shepherd. I fought the bear, I fought the lion, and I'm going to fight this giant. It'll be fine. Right? I mean, shepherds really get put themselves in the line of danger. The shepherd is the one who guards the door, which is the entryway, the one, so that thieves and robbers can't come in and steal the sheep. This is who Jesus is. Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the one who comes along, who speaks gently. He says here in the text, my sheep know me. The one who is a hired hand, verse 12, and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them. He flees because he's a hired hand. He doesn't care about the sheep. However, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Everybody got that? They will listen to my voice. We're going to get there in just a second. So there will be, verse 16, this is a key, key phrase. So there will be one flock. There will be one shepherd. Right? There will be one flock. There will be one shepherd. Jesus keeps his flock together. There is one flock, no matter how schismatic and divisive the church becomes, there is one flock, and no matter how ill we become in the health of that flock, there is one shepherd. It is the good shepherd, and any shepherding that takes place at Parker Ford Church comes under the rule of the good shepherd. The good shepherd is at the center of this. The needs of the search committee are subject to the direction of the good shepherd. Right? The staffing board is subject to the will and the mind and the direction of the good shepherd. These people all act as shepherds here and praise God for them and their gifts. But Parker Ford Church has the good shepherd, who is the true shepherd, who draws us all together in oneness. So that right now the mind that he has for the health of his flock is crucial and primary and what it means for us to be us has everything to do with knowing our good shepherd, hearing his voice and following it. Who's the Holy Spirit in regard to the flock? A voice? Jesus calls the Holy Spirit a name in John 14. Remember what that is? A comforter, a comforter. In Psalm 23, the great shepherding psalm, what comforts the sheep? Right. Right. There, there is a significant connection that is happening, I think, in the mind of Christ. As he says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And he calls the Holy Spirit the comforter. Right? The rod and the staff are for discipline. 
The rod and the staff are for training. The rod and the staff are for alignment. The Holy Spirit is that which comforts. He's the rod and staff of the shepherd that actually dwells within, that actually lives here, resides within, and that brings us into alignment and into training and into discipline with who it is that God made us to be. Let's think about this concept from the perspective of the things that the church is called to devote itself to. In Acts chapter 2, the early church, and it's no different for us, devotes itself to four things, word, fellowship, ordinance, and prayer. So when you think about the identity of the church as the flock of God, what is the word in regard to the flock of God? I'd suggest food. Yeah, food. The word of God is that which the flock eats. The, one of the key jobs of a shepherd is to make sure that the flock is well-fed. And so you've got to keep a flock moving because they'll eat everything. And so if they eat everything, then they've got nothing left to eat. And so you've got you to keep moving, and the shepherd needs to know where it's going, needs to know where the good food is. And your shepherds bring you good food right here. It's the scriptures, the word of God. Right? The word is the food. Fellowship in regard to the flock of God. I would suggest it's growing in health. One of the most dangerous things to a flock of sheep is disease. When disease gets into a flock, it can spread very, very quickly. And so a shepherd, one of the shepherd's key role is to keep an eye on the health. Where is the health of our body? How are we healthy or unhealthy? What does it mean for us to be growing in health? What does it mean for us to get disease out? Well, a key way that happens is by looking at the flock as a whole and by actually interacting relationally, by engaging. Jesus is toward each one of you as the good shepherd. He is right here. Who are you? I love you. You need to eat. You need to drink. Uh, I'm, I'm with you. We're going to go this direction. You're scared, but it's okay. I'll be with you. You're getting out of line. Here's a tap. Here's the rod. Here's the staff. You need to be trained. You need to be disciplined. Th this is the ministry of Christ. And he's doing that for the sake of the health of the flock. We, we are one flock with one shepherd. And you can see all through the scriptures the principle that when disease gets into the flock, it has to be gotten out. Right? When disease gets into the flock, it has to be gotten out. All through the scriptures, you can see people getting into sin and bringing that sin into the community of saints. And then that sin needing to be dealt with. And if it's Achan back in Joshua, or if it's Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, or there, there are different places we can see it happen, but it must be dealt with. This is why we so value Matthew chapter 18. So that when conflict arises, right, we can actually deal with it. It's not okay to let conflict go. It's not okay to let a fence just go. It's a shepherd's job to make sure those kinds of things get dealt with, growing in health. The ordinances, brokenness and healing. Right? Brokenness and healing. Prayer. Prayer, when it comes to the flock of God, is this. My sheep know my voice. And as I bring this teaching today to you, and as I uh, was driving in this morning, just talking to the Lord about it, it was this point that I felt like he really wanted me to hit. So let's all together say this phrase, my sheep know my voice. Here we go. My sheep know my voice. Folks, listen, look at me. If you don't hear anything else I hear today, hear this. You know 
how to hear God. You know how to hear God. He is your good shepherd, and it could not be more black and white than it is right here on the pages of the text. My sheep know my voice. You might say, Jay, I'm, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> how do I know if it's God or if it's me? Uh, how do I know if it's the Lord or if it was like bad pizza from last night? Is there, like, like, like you know, I, I, I see other people, other people can hear from God. I think you all, if we took a survey here, if we took, and I've done, done this before, if we took a survey here, about half of you would say, yeah, I can hear from God. The other half would be like, yeah, I don't think so. Um, but if I were to ask the half of you that don't believe that you can hear from God, if those other people can hear from God, yeah, I totally can see that person hearing from God. Like, like that's great. That's great. I've just never had that experience myself, or I don't, I don't trust that in myself but I'm glad that they can. I'm glad that they can. There's others of us here who are, are really, really confident in our hearing from God, you know, and we actually take the voice in an inappropriate direction and we make his voice our voice, <laughs> right? And then we start activating things that aren't in line with his discernment and his wisdom in the moment. I, I would suggest that both parties and groups actually pull back from their assumptions about themselves whatever that might be, and just rest in this fact for a moment that Jesus is your good shepherd and you know his voice. You know his voice. There may be other loud competing voices in your heart and mind. I would suggest there are. We, we, we all deal with this. There are other voices that want to compete for your attention. And there are other things that want to produce noise and chaos in your life so that you cannot hear God. And what we're all looking for, I think, is for God to like show up in an earthquake. And if God would just shake everything, you know, and just like just yell it at me, then I could follow. Or if God would just burn me up. You know, then if he would just burn away all that other junk and I was just left with pure myself in him, then I could hear his voice. Or if God would just send like some massive wind to blow away all the junk in my heart and mind and so I could just have his voice. See, there's a problem with that because there's somebody that got that and he was like one of the best hearers ever. Elijah found himself in a cave in desperate need to hear God's voice and an earthquake came. And God was not in the earthquake. And a fire came. And God was not in the fire. And a big strong wind came. And God was not in the wind. And then God spoke to his son, to his sheep, in a still, small voice. And Elijah heard and knew the voice of his shepherd and followed. Friend, if you are waiting for God to leave you a voicemail on your phone, he has. If you are waiting for a sign from God, he has given it. If you are not confident in your identity as someone who 
is a sheep of God who is part of his flock and who knows his voice. Like if you won't receive that in your spirit, then I would suggest that yes, you will not hear his voice. But mind you, it is not because he's not communicating. It is not because he's not communicating. God is speaking. That is the grand story of scripture. God is speaking. John says it very clearly. Jesus says it very clearly. Let the one who has an ear to hear, hear. If you want to hear, you can. If you don't want to hear, you won't. Another principle while I'm, just at, while I'm at it. <laughs> what you expect is what you will receive. Folks, if you come here to a Sunday morning gathering and expect to sing some songs and give some money and hear a sermon and go home and watch the Eagles, then you know what you'll do? You'll come here and you'll sing some songs and you'll give some money and you'll hear a sermon and you'll go home and watch the Eagles. If you come here expecting to meet with the God of the universe and to hear his voice and his mind, if you expect him to show up and to speak, and if you expect that you're going to be present with him as a part of his flock and that your good shepherd is here and he is present and he is toward you and he loves you and he knows exactly who you are and he knows exactly who all of you are together, and if you expect him to direct you and if you expect him to love you and if you expect power in your life and grace and goodness and cleansing and discipline and truth, that is what you will receive but you will only get what you expect to get if your view of God is this big then this is how big your God is what God is trying to do with his people is expand his view their view of him is to open up all of those compartments that we put him in and the inappropriate definitions that we put him in and the wrong identities that we put ourselves in We are the flock of God. We are the people of God. Jesus himself is our good shepherd. And there is the innate, God-given, spiritual gifted ability deep within each one of your hearts to know his voice and to follow it. You can hear God. You can follow. And you can expect him to show up and to speak to you in life-changing ways. That gets shortchanged because we don't view ourselves the way God does. We keep a small picture of ourselves. Where, where, what are you doing today? We're going to church. No, you're not. You're going to encounter the God of the universe with the people of God. God's house on God's day with God's people. Woo! Hang on. All right, but we just go to church. And we, is, why? Because this is what we're doing. Because we're Americans, and a lot of Americans go to church. In China, they don't just go to church. In China, if God doesn't show up in their corporate worship gathering, if they don't expect it, like they don't have anything. The level of expectancy of our brothers and sisters in China, every time they're together, is God is going to blow our minds. Because if he doesn't, they're going to have their businesses taken away or their kids are going to be ostracized or they're going to be uh, questioned and brought in for hours and hours in a jail cell for no good reason. And there's actual things on the line. We've become very comfortable. And our comfort has kept our God very, very small so we don't expect him to show up in the ways that he wants to. And it's to our detriment. You are the flock of God. 
You are his sheep. He is insanely in love with you. And he will guard the health of his flock. And so if what God is working in you is like discipline, I, I encourage you in Christ, brother or sister, lean into it. Right? Lean into the discipline. If what you're receiving from God is nurture, don't try and tell God how strong you are. Lean into it. Let him hold you. If God is calling you over that hill to another pasture that he, need, he knows you need to get to, Oh, sorry, I switched there. Corporately, this is you, Parker Ford Church. This is what I think God's actually doing. If God is leading you over that mountain to another pasture that you actually need to get to, it's important for you to keep your faith in the good shepherd, to know that he knows that you need to get there. And one thing that a shepherd will never promise his sheep is that it's going to be easy. God knows it's not. It's not easy, but... He is with us. You see, the Lord is your shepherd. You do not want for anything. He makes you lie down in green pastures, right, where the grass is good. And, and, and it's not just, you're not just there to eat and move on. You're there to rest. He leads you beside still waters. He's not going to lead you to some place where you're going to be swept away. He restores your soul. Yeah, you've been walking all day and you're tired. There's new energy. He leads you down the right paths for his name's sake. And that gets really hard sometimes because life gets really hard sometimes. But even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you do not have to fear any evil. Why? Because he himself is with you. His rod and his staff they comfort you. He is so for you that he will prepare a banquet in front of your enemies, the people who want to steal from you and rob from you. And they will observe you while you feast with him. And if your cup ever runs out of wine, you don't need to worry about that because he can actually take the water and turn it into wine. Every day of your life, the good shepherd's goodness and his mercy, they pursue you. When you try and run away, his goodness and mercy run faster than you can. And that happens every day of your life. And the grand, wonderful promise at the end of all things is this, is that you have a place in his house forever and ever and the enemy of the sheep has no right because Jesus conquered sin, death, and the grave forever. And you belong, and you are his, and he loves you, and he loves Parker Ford Church. And you're embarking on a journey that you have everything that you need for because you have him. And he will not lead you astray. He is your good shepherd. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you have named your church the flock of God, that you have given us this identity in Christ. And I pray, God, that you would birth faith in my brothers and sisters at Parker Ford Church, faith to receive who you are, 
as good shepherd and also, God, faith for them to receive who they are in you and to walk in the faith of that identity as the flock of God, being your people, called and drawn by you as a sheep and corporately as a flock to the direction and the health and the life and the goodness that we have in you. Open their hearts and minds to receive their identity in you more and more deeply. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.